are we doing? We've got a story. I, a story. I do, but um, should we introduce probably the show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? People know. Oh yeah, of course right? they know. Yeah. They just hear the voices. That's right. Just like yeah, they're in. Yeah, <laughs> puts them to sleep. <laughs> That's right. They're already asleep. <laughs> Before I snap my fingers. When I right. snap my fingers, you will be asleep. You'll be asleep. <laughs> This is Mark Dustin and Kevin Ballman in our podcast. Help is not on the way. Yeah, we haven't done one of these in a while. No. Um, and we've got a couple of new stories. We've had some time to figure out what we wanted to do. And yours sounds super entertaining. You know, a lot has happened, Kevin. Yeah. A lot has happened since uh, we last spoke. Uh, well, last spoke on this podcast. Even more has happened since we uh, last spoke on this podcast. Um, yeah, but... Um, Let's make believe none of that's happened. Yeah. And let's re let's we're gonna do some real deep dives into history here. Sounds good. Um, I'm bringing today Jean Paul Marat. Really cool. Um, I, I I think you'll remember. Um, it's the kind of thing you want to Google real quick and take a peek because you'll know it as soon as you see it. But there was a painting um, painted in 1793 by Jacques Louis David, um, French gentleman. Um, <clears throat> and he was the official artist of the French Revolution, and the, the painting's well-known because it's called The Death of Marat. And um, uh, it's about it's it's a painting of uh, a man who was murdered in his bathtub. Um, he was a revolutionary propagandist, sort of self-proclaimed, self-made revolutionary propagandist. Who murdered in his bathtub. Assassinated yeah. in his bathtub. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it is. Um yeah, and there's a really there's an interesting reason why uh, too that someone was next to him in his bathtub who wanted to murder him. Um, he was um, he was murdered by this woman named Charlotte Corday, and uh, she'd come claiming she had evidence on the activities of an escaped en- of uh, escaped enemies of the French Revolution. And so the way this story begins, and I think the best way to get into it is to sort of give a little background about the French Revolution because <clears throat> many people know we know a lot about it. But there's a lot that sort of like it's nice to brush on because it does sort of like a lot of things in politics, things build and we only hear really hear about the really crazy stuff. But it really took a long time. I didn't realize this. It took a long time for the French Revolution to turn into the guillotine and the whole thing of Marie Antoinette and Louis the Fourteenth. This things. is like a, a bunch of pent up anger and resentment, that kind of thing. Exactly what it was. Um, and, and it's kind of funny because we talk uh, we I think you and I were talking a little bit about this, how this there's some similarities to today. Um, and how all this played out. The French Revolution uh, began in uh, May 1789, and the country had been struggling because um, there was like this really bad exploding population, which, of course, uh, created widespread unemployment. Um, like I think about a, a third of the population was either unemployed or really didn't have consistent work. That's never, n- never works out well. No, I mean, hungry, yeah. angry, hungry and angry. And, and nothing to do. Yeah. Nothing to do. Right. right. True. I mean, there's no, they didn't, I mean, at least today you got video games to placate the populace. Right, right, yeah. They could go watch, you know, TV. Here, have a Nintendo. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The opiate of the masses, right? right? Yeah. Um, but not then. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is this the kind of time where you literally did not have a pot to piss and, and so were they, you know, I remember, for instance, uh, like Les Mis, were they sitting around in coffee shops and pubs discussing 
yeah. the politics and, you know, getting all worked up and kind of egging each other on. You know, it's interesting you say that because anyone who's been to France and, and walked up like Rue de Republique, I think it's Rue de Republique, between the Bastille and Republique, the square, um, on like Saturday or Sunday, there are these market stalls. Like there are anywhere in any city on, on a Sunday or whatever. And except there, the market stalls are is literature. Like oh. It's like little pamphlets, little little fanzines, essentially. Cool. But, you know, you see like Charlie Hebdo and th- those sorts of things. Oh, yeah. That's like the, the French are like maniacal about their press, about sort of their opinion and their and their sort of discussion and et cetera. So, yeah, I would imagine. I don't know how much coffee they were able to. Right. Maybe some wine. Wine. I, I, I would think it was alcohol. Yeah. Usually the, right. usually the instigator. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty much all alcohol. Right. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. End Sounds of story. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was it. People got drunk, got angry. Right. French Revolution. Yeah, exactly. So the um, so there's high cost of food, and there was a lot of social distress, and um, the regime was called the Enchen. I think the Enchen. Maybe I'm pronouncing that correctly. The Enchen regime, which had allowed um, the social inequality, it really just dominated the country, and the elite, of course, were enjoying culture and fashion and their political status. They, this is the time when they had like the, I mean, the just obscene hairdresses and gowns and you know you see them in yeah movies and yeah and all yeah oh yeah I, I think we i think even if you don't know much about the french revolution you know that i mean it's just it's just such a stark sort of contrast between the poverty and it's very very much like oh those must be rich people right yeah why you'd have to be rich to be able to afford to wear that get up all day because you can't you can't do a dish, you can't tie your shoe. No. Yeah. So, um, at the same time, the um, the 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 lower classes were starving, and really just just stirring up a lot of resentment. And uh, I mean, why couldn't they just eat cake? Interesting question. Yeah. 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 I mean, who doesn't love cake? All right. <laughs> <laughs> why are they so upset? Yeah. Really. I mean, isn't France known for their cakes? Right. Have a baguette. Yeah. The government um, at the time had set up this really like I mean, gosh, it is if it if it's if it if you if this sort of thing doesn't like doesn't scream in your face, we have learned nothing. And well, not that's not entirely true. The the people in power have learned everything, but we the people continue to learn nothing from history in many ways because the government had set up this voting tier system in this in the sense of like trying to appease the the populace you know and um of course their voting tier pop uh system um is set up of all these officials who are going to determine the outcome of all political measures and it was called the they had the first second and third estates the first estate was made up mostly of religious figures um priests and i don't know upper tier religious figures i think it was i don't remember how many there were but the second one was made up of an elect of elected officials that represent that solely represented the wealthy there were like 260 of those guys you know you know which i i think is still kind of the case in in yeah. like even in our country yeah. is but they're they were at least open about it yeah it was pretty much yeah, yeah. it was on it was pretty much on paper that yeah. this is what these people do the third estate is made up of Oh, uh, speaking of that, those first two estates, they represent about 5% of the population. The third estate, which is made up of 610 deputies and represents 95% of the population, um, 
Um, although very few of the actual deputies were common people. They, most of the deputies were some sort of landowner, et cetera, et cetera, but they were supposed to represent the common people. Well, the third estate, um, the, all the estates meet separately, and, the, and, and, and it's designed so that the first and second estates get to outvote the third estate. <laughs> like, it's just a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know... I guess if you were rich and powerful back then and thought you were far superior to the other 95% of the population, maybe you're like, yeah, I mean, this makes sense. This makes Why would sense. we let them have the equal say? They don't know anything. Yeah. yeah. They pee in pots and throw it out the window. Right. I have a, I have fancy ha- headdress. I pee in a pot and somebody I pay throws somebody it out the window. Somebody else throws it out the window. Right. <laughs> One of them throws it out the window. Right. They actually pee in their own pots and throw it out their right. own window. But they shouldn't. They shouldn't have much of a how say. How they vote? So the um, um, so there's a call to reform the way the electors are chosen, and it was struck down by King Louis the Fourteenth. Um, although it was very highly supported, strongly supported, and crowds of protesters just flooded into the streets. Of course, because at this time, obviously, things are very tense. And on um. The 14th of July, 1789, um, a mob of these people attacked the Bastille, which it, which is is was a royal or fortress in like central Paris, and um, and uh, it had was filled with arms and ammunition, and um, this kind of this moment, which is kind of well known, uh, kicked off the French Revolution, um, and eventually in like as in 1792 toppled the monarchy. But at this point, yeah, there's some like scuffles and there's little outbreaks but for the most part it doesn't seem like there was much happening there certainly wasn't a lot of guillotining at the time so we're getting to marat by the way um the revolutionaries become known as the jacobins and um and they're sort of their governing power comes in and they and they do get some power and um but but as sh- this is going to really surprise you kevin <laughs> factions begin to develop within the revolutionary mm, government yes yeah totally not. I thought they'd all get along oh yeah yeah you'd think right because they're all just right pure heart pure of heart and soul and really for right. the common good nobody's gonna see an opening where they could maybe no. you know get a little extra power or something no out of it. no this is yeah they're all on the same page good people right thinking for the you know the masses right exactly yeah so they so the so one of the factions is called the uh, Girondins who believed in the that in the revolution but really felt that things were starting to get a little maybe going a little too far they didn't really want to go very far they wanted to get in and they wanted to change things but they didn't want it to get too ugly and the other um uh like once the dissolution of the monarchy happens they're kind of cool with it I'm sure they had some ideas but that's that's as far as they want to go they're kind of light uh revolutionary light um the the montanards though they're they're pretty bloodthirsty um so September um, 19, I mean, 1793, the reign of terror begins, which is um, an anti-clerical sentiment um, based on anti-clerical sentiment, accusations of treason, and all this helped stir this big public fervor um, for the revolution and resulted in a series of massacres. And the reign soon became a way um, for political rivals, of course, to settle personal disputes because it's exactly what we're talking about. It's like, well, while it's a, it's it's like, it's a two for one, you know? Right. Well, while we're like chopping off the heads of people we've decided are treasonous, 
I don't like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I when, mean, you know. If he's out of the picture, I got a much better chance yeah. of, you know, making a little extra. Or I mean, he owns the place next to me. I kind of like to pick it up. He won't sell it to me. I mean, who knows, you know? Mm-hmm. His wife is attractive. I yeah. like her more than my wife. Yeah, we were both vying for her attention, and she chose him. It's, it's so, it becomes that sort of, like, political maneuvering. So... Um, so by this time, King Louis had already been arrested and tried and executed by the guillotine. And he was, and he was only 38 years old, by the way, when he was executed. And Marie Antoinette, uh, her execution was, was just a month away. But so now on to Marat. So this is, that's sort of like the, what's going on in the French Revolution and sort of the stages in brief that brought us, that, 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 that brought us to where we are. So Jean-Paul Marat, who's born in Switzerland in uh, 1743, he's this well-educated guy, and he moves, when he's a little older, he moves to England, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and he becomes a writer of political works, and he writes this piece called Chains of Slavery. But his subtitle, tell me this guy's not like a diehard, like, you know, sort of like socialist revolutionary. The subtitle that he uses for the book is, is, is... a work in which the clandestine and villainous attempts of princes to ruin liberty are pointed out and the dreadful scenes of de- despotism disclosed. <laughs> I mean, I kind of like this guy right here. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I'm like, hey, right. not too bad. And that, that's a really long subtitle. It's a very long subtitle, yeah. yeah. Maybe in but, French it's shorter. Right. <laughs> but he did write in English, I think. <laughs> so anyway, so, but, but, you know, I guess you could do a lot of things back then. Yeah. He becomes a doctor. He becomes a doctor after receiving an honorary, um, I don't know if it was a, um, I don't know if it was a diploma or what they called it back then, but he receives an honorary from uh, the University of St. Andrews for publishing this essay about how to cure gonorrhea. So it's a bit of a pendulum swing. I mean, the guy's got a vast, Yeah. he's got a lot in his, his literary quiver, doesn't he? he can, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Sounds like he could be um, an overachiever of yeah. sorts. I think he's a really smart guy. Yeah. Um, which is cool, by the way. At this point, I'm still like, that's cool. Yeah. He um, he writes a series of medical... And by the way, it becomes not cool. Just to kind of like... Because even though he was like, you know, it's that whole thing. It's sort of like... It, it, like any of this stuff, it's like, you know, even though I'm a left-leaning person, it's like, hey, great, I'm for the people too, but wait a minute, whoa, slow down, yeah. Rot. Like, I'm for the, I'm a, I probably would have been more of a Girondin than a Montenard, I guess. Don't call me that. You you weren't going to want to, like, behead people and, I don't then, think so. and then behead your neighbor because he parked his car <laughs> on your lawn a little right. bit. His dog right. went to the bathroom on my he lawn. doesn't clean up after his dog. Totally. <laughs> right, right. He leaves his trash can out Pierre's dog yeah. peed on my lawn. He is a poli- he, he supports right. the monarchy. <laughs> Come get him. So um so uh he 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 writes a series of medical scientific publications and but 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 in uh, 1788 he's he just realizes politics is what he's interested in he dedicates himself solely to politics and writing about politics which now he's living in Paris and um and he really just becomes solely interested in the reform of the third estate and influencing a redraft of France's new constitution which is sort of been happening at this point 
on its way into happening. And, and in 1789, he starts his own newspaper, which is titled The People's Friend, where he attacks the most influential and powerful groups in Paris. So he's attacking like the upper echelon constantly. And, um, and he stokes the flames of, of this widening revolution and, um, and warns against counter-revolutionaries writing, quote, five or 600 heads cut off would have assured your repose, freedom, and happiness. You know, so he's, he's definitely one of those guys. I mean, that's not that many heads. Not in the grand scheme of heads, yeah, no. Five, six hundred. Yeah, I mean, unless it's, unless one of them is your heads. Right. Then it's one too many. And five or six hundred heads in one big pile is probably a lot of heads. That's a lot of heads, yeah. I would think, yeah. But I think, yeah. Like that, spotty, like yeah. one here. One there. You barely even notice. A couple in the alley over here. Yeah, yeah, it's barely even noticeable. <laughs> so he, So at this point, of course, which is really bizarre because already the revolution has started in a sense, but he's, but he's so, you know, he's, people are reading him and he's so inflammatory. He's literally going into hiding, um, all the time, uh, for his writing. And so between 1790 and 1792, he's hiding all the time. He's fleeing to London at times. Sometimes he has to even hide in the, in the Paris sewers as the revolution is sort of like building steam, but he's writing all the time. He's writing, he's writing inflammatory stuff. And he's, he's, he's one of these, like, I don't know, Alex, what's his name? Guys who's, you know, Rush Limbaugh, who's just on the radio yapping away like crazy, trying to, in, just to get anybody to rev anybody up, you know? So, yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's not out there doing this, the stuff, right? I mean, he's just, no, he's just kind of, uh, writing inflammatory things that are angering people and maybe riling people up. Sit in the sidelines with a microphone. Look familiar? Yes. (laughs) We're not riling anybody up. No. Don't behead anybody. Nobody nobody would listen to me anyway, Mark. I'm going to put a disclaimer on this one, not to behead anybody. Every every day nobody listens to me. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that is true. Yeah, I, I think I feel you there. Um, so he, uh, he marries uh, a woman named S- Simone Evard in 1792 and, um, and he's become an incredibly important source of pro-revolution, uh, propaganda and eventually becomes the most, he does get involved in a more, um, tangible, not tangible, I shouldn't say tangible, but in a, um, in a more political way and an act and, and begins to, and becomes, um, the most influential member of this committee on this committee called the committee on surveillance where he was um he was all about rounding he he was a big part of rounding up over four thousand people that were considered quote suspects suspects so yeah that's yeah we've never heard of anything like that before in any historical revolutionary situation couldn't happen here couldn't happen never luckily this is a long time ago don't worry couldn't happen. History yet. doesn't repeat itself. Never. Mark. No. No, we're really, really good yeah. at remembering what not to do. That's right. Yeah. Duh. So they put him in pr- these 4,000 people in prison. And Marat, okay, this is how this guy's now, he's totally nuts at this point. Um, he, being the most influential member of this committee, they're tr- debating what to do with these 4,000 people. They don't really know what to do with them. 4,000 people in prison is not a small thing. And he suggests very seriously and kind of argues it that they should be, the political prisoners they've rounded up should be burned alive. Just burned, 4,000 people. But apparently, listen, Kevin, this is where we know 
like it's all we're going to balance in the end, leveler heads prevail because they realize that if they start burning these people in central Paris, there's a really like high likelihood they'll start some of the neighboring houses on fire. Right. And you certainly would not want to burn down structures. No. No. That's kind of he's kind of starting to sound they are kind of starting to sound like the very people they despise. Right, because there's value there. Right. We're valuing the things more than the people. Than the people, right? Yeah. So this so off the back of this, this rabble of mercenaries is assembled. And of course, now we're really getting into the the, the revolution starting to turn into a revolution instead of just sort of like a change in government and um, and some people getting thrown into jail and stuff like that. So this rabble of mercenaries is assembled and they're made up of convicted murderers and like the dregs of nations. Um, they use makeshift courts um, where people are deemed either free or guilty like just on the roadside kind of thing. And the guilty are like just literally bludgeoned and or speared or decapitated, like right there. And the mercenaries um, um, were literally, think about this. They're li- the mercenaries were literally set free in prisons um, holding that held accused political prisoners. And they were just allowed to enter the cells and murder the inhabitants. And and some of these, by the way, are like, you're talking like 10 year old kids, some of these. Like, and, and, and these are just people who've been accused of things. And maybe have done nothing. But no buildings caught on fire, right? True. I mean, yeah. I, I just want to make yeah, sure. Nary, that, a, uh, yeah. <laughs> nary, a, nary, a, nary a drape right. was burned. <laughs> this was so much better. It's so much better, yeah. 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 And, you know, um, janitors and mop makers were in business for years. Yeah. Which is great for the economy. Yes. It's like that broken windows thing. Yeah, it's totally like, yeah, it's broken windows. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. My goodness, yeah. Gum Break on the street. More windows. It's gum on the street today. It's high, right. it's high treason tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Although it wasn't gum back then. Yeah. I don't think. So Marat is a leading proponent of these massacres, and he abdicates it before, during, before and during the massacres, voted for it and defended it afterwards. He was a big, this was a great idea, guys, go team kind of guy. Right. Bang up job. Bang up job. Yeah. <laughs> so um France is declared a republic in 1792 and um and at that point uh, Marat renames his newspaper um the Journal of Fre- the French Republic and he's elected to the National Council in 1792 and during the trial Louis the 14th of Louis the 14th he claimed that quote the or not a quote but the monarchy that the monarch's death would be would be good for the people It'd be good to just like get rid of this guy um and I have to read more into it, but I don't think Louis the Fourteenth was all. I don't I'm saying he was a bad guy. He's probably a. You know, he's one of these, but right. I don't think he really did much. I, I I really need to find out more about it because it doesn't sound like he. I think it, when it when this started off, he kind of like tucked his tail a little bit. But I could be totally wrong. So I really am interested in finding out more about his part in all of this. But Marat um, fought bitterly with the Girondins uh, because he was a um, Montenard. And he believed that the, the Girondins, who were the softer element of the revolution, um, they, he believed that they were covert enemies of, the, of republicanism, and he called for violence against them. Um, they responded by demanding that he be tried for uh, uh, before a revolutionary tribunal. So he, he was kind of like, you're either with us or against us. Totally, 100%. Yeah. We've I've never heard that before either. No, again. Yeah. yeah these are, well, you've heard it before, but you have not heard it since. <laughs> yeah. 
it doesn't happen after this because, again, we learn from history, right? Right, right. It never yeah, happened so again. He was uh, eventually arrested and charged and um, uh, with using his paper to advocate for widespread murder, but he was acquitted of all charges. Hmm. Yeah, I know. Although he also was the guy who inf- was the most influential in rounding up these 4,000 people. And right. clearly it was of his mind to do these sorts of things. So the, the, the Girondins fall. Apparently the, the party kind of just got... I mean, the Montanards are way more ruthless, and they they are able to sort of topple the Girondins. And um, on June 2nd, 1793, uh, they fall, and that is considered Marat's final, like, true achievement. He's a big part of that. He's a big part of the that gets them to fall, et cetera, et cetera. And you got to imagine this is... We're talking about disinformation today. You have to imagine there's a huge amount of disinformation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. On Facebook and Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. Right. The, the thing that's interesting here is that, you know, the pendulum swing, you've got a certain amount of publications. It's sort of like think about if, you know, in 1972, all the nightly news stations, which, of which there were three probably, you know, because, you know, ABC, NBC, and CBS in America right. decide we're just going to tell a tale, even if just one of them does. We're going to spread different information, even if it's a, a few of the select newspapers that is going to be that's that's the you know the the news of record that's that's what people are going to know the swing of the pendulum but thankfully for the most part i think those those journalists were were pretty serious about doing their best to try to keep some sense of like bias non-biased etc but um conversely you fast forward to today and so, like, it would be very easy to spread disinformation if you were going to be there as one of the gatekeepers. But typically not so much. But uh, but it can be easily, especially in a certain type of government, especially when there's propaganda out there. The pendulum swing today is now it's just everyone says everything. So sure, yeah. Uh, you don't yeah, know what to do. It's just a free-for-all. Yeah. So, in a way, there's some similarities in the fact that if someone wants to stir it, you just have to just pump people with more of it today, but it's still going to... Right. Have an yeah, I, I I imagine disinformation has been around as long as we've been able to communicate. Yeah. Yeah, like Glog on in in when he you know when he was a ca- ca- the caveman. Right. Yeah. You know, wrote like yeah. All all those cave drawings are disinformation. Yeah. It's just did you see that one. Right. You know the one I'm talking about. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe they did that. Totally. Total. <laughs> Alt uh, alternate facts. Absolutely, yeah. Because the because the yeah because uh, Glog speared <laughs> Yorg, right? And Yorg, <laughs> I don't know. You know, what I mean, it's like Yorg wanted to topple the pro, you know, the the establishment. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, yeah. and and uh, and of course, the ends justify the means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is is always the case. Yeah, well, it, history is written by the yeah. winners, right? I mean, some of the a bunch of the people are going to buy it. Mm-hmm. But the people who know what they're doing know that they're pro- spreading this yeah. and that it's not true. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because, yeah, they need to achieve some goal that is righteous. It's never it's never without fascination that people believe other people. Sure, and so I'm 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 sure Marat is is. Yeah, I mean, you know, fu- feels fully justified. Yeah, he's a propaganda master, and he and he has his agenda, and and that's I think I think that that's one of the great like sort of failings of humanity is that we 
We just can't seem to wrap our heads around the fact that people have agendas and that their agendas, no matter how they shape it, may not be like head heading us in the direction that we really want to go in the end. And that does, it does, that does. Your intentions might not be pure. Yeah. And that does actually happen. And yeah. And you're only, you, you, the fact that you're, you're pointing out a certain slice of this does not necessarily mean I should follow you. It might be something I should, should be aware of, but like anything, everything is gray area. So we can't, um, but, 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 but interestingly enough, after some pretty, nasty stuff that does happen with the French Revolution. People kind of come out of it and go, wait a minute. So, um, um, so, so he, so as I mentioned, he, the, the, the Girondins fall and Marat, that's sort of Marat's finest, final achievement, um, because he has to step back. And the reason he has to step back is because throughout his life, he suffered through this debilitating skin disease. Like, I mean, his face was, he was, described as disgusting looking his body. He had, um, something that, that, that I think since people have figure is probably this, this condition called dermatitis, uh, herpetiformis, which causes these red rashes and really itchy watery blisters all over your body, like really terrible stuff. And he, of course he was hiding in the sewers for a while and all this, and it certainly didn't make it any. Better. Yeah. I'm sure that didn't help. Yeah. So he, um, he's forced to retire, uh, from the convention due to this worsening skin disease. And he, but he continues to work from home, usually soaking in his medicinal bath. Enter the bathtub. Which is why he's murdered there, because he's usually there. This is why, she, yeah, this is why he's found. Yes, exactly. This is where he takes, he meets people and stuff. Um, so with the Gerondins gone and the Montanards no longer needing his support um, against the Gerondins, uh, they kind of begin to push him to the sidelines. They're sort of like, yeah, he did. He served his purpose. We're not really that interested anymore. He's not here. Yeah. And his letters, which he writes many of to the convention are pretty much ignored. So on July 13th, um, that was 1792, 1793. Um, he's in his bathtub and he's writing when this young woman named Charlotte Corday comes knocking on his door. She claims that she has information regarding the activities of the escaped Girondins who had fled to Normandy. Um, and of course, let's not forget, like Marat's an obsessive person. He's not going to just let this go. This is his life's work. He's he's going to go after him. It's kind of all he's got now too, don't forget, because nobody's really paying him any more attention right, nobody to cares anymore. Right. So he's, you know, so his wife, Simone, uh, she tries to send this woman away, but, but Marat insists that she be let in. She joins him in his bathtub beside his bathtub um and she talks to him for like 15 minutes and during this 15 minutes she lists names of Gerondin officials and and he's writing them down but um and 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 later charlotte said as he's writing them down or after she's right finished writing he's finished writing them down uh he said to her their heads will fall within a fortnight she then stands up from her chair pulls out a five-inch knife from her corset and stabs him in the chest. And she just happens. I mean, A, I've never stabbed anybody in the chest, of course. Thank goodness. Um, I hope I never have to. But I can't imagine. I mean, that's a pretty hard thing to do. The blow, punching, all this stuff. But he, she does it. She just really does it right. Because she also gets, I don't, I don't want to call it lucky, but not lucky for him. Right. Um, lucky but, strike. 
Bucky Strike, but he bleeds out like he dies like almost immediately. He's wow. got a few seconds, maybe a minute, um, because the blow is fatal. And but his last words to his wife, which are, which are, and I'm not going to pronounce this well in French, is, uh, "It is moi, ma chérie amie." He says, "Help me, my beloved." Um, Corday. And keep in mind, the reason that this is, in my mind, the reason this is a help is on, on the way topic is because there's like so many tears right. of everybody here is kind of screwed. Yeah. You know? um, help is not on the way in for many people. Though for all the people thrown in prison yeah. and it's not on the way for the Geronins and it's not on the way for the monarchs and it's not on the way for Marat in the end and it's not on the way for uh, Charlotte Corday, who um, was a Geronin sympathizer, came from a royalist family. Um uh, and was execute was guillotined a few a week later or so for killing him. Um, but of course, even though Marat was now pushed to the sidelines, the um, the Montanards use his death as one of the tools they use to stir up um, the populace to get excited about the next stage, oh. which becomes what's known as the Reign of Terror. Now he's dead at this point, but. Um, but he supported this wholeheartedly. And what they do is, um, oh, and her okay, last thing about her, she's sent to the guillotine, but during her four-day trial, she testified that she'd carried out the assassination alone, saying, quote, I killed one man to save 100,000. Now, there's a little bit of irony in that, which you'll hear in a moment. And yes, it's a bit of a stretch to get that irony, but, it's, but it's, there's irony in it. After his death, he's viewed by many as a martyr, and his heart's embalmed, placed in an urn um, as an altar erected to memory on his tomb. The inscription plaque reads, I think this is the sort of like, this is the sort of the rally cry of the French Revolution, which is unity, indivisibility of the Republic, liberty, equality, fraternity, or death. Um, and the Montanards use his death to sort of stir up this um, enough sentiment to start the reign of terror. Well, the reign of terror kills about 40,000 in 10 months or so kills about 40,000 people 17,000 sort of military people 13,000 civilians so um it's a pretty awful thing and and she thought she was preventing this very kind of thing yes and in in fact it kind of like kicked off exactly the thing she was hoping to avoid precisely but what's really interesting about this is what happens next in, in that sort of the concept of what you're saying. In her sort of statement, if you pick up on that statement, I killed one man to save 100,000. And yes, he's not the only person that was an architect of the French Revolution, et cetera. But, but it's an interesting sort of like side note. So, um, you know, he's buried in the, 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 the Parthenon and he's sort of considered to be like, oh, this is a great guy and we all need to have statues and all this stuff. Well... The reign of terror does come to an end. And um, in reaction to the violence, the people who supported the violence, they are disgusted. They can't believe it's gone too far. And this really, really touches on today and some of the people we hear today talking about like, let's do it. And it's like, I don't think you know what let's do it means. Let's go after the, let's stand in the street with guns and, you know. Let's all die. Yeah, it's it's, it's horrifying. It's ugly. People, you don't have the stomach for it like you think you do. Right. And um, 
And that is the reaction after the reign of terror. People are like mortified that they realize that they were, even if they were in a small part to play in it, they had a part to play in it. Yeah, and maybe now your neighbors and friends and even some family members are dead. And did you have something to do with it? Even if it's like you just didn't try yeah. to stop it or you were kind of a, a part of the movement. Yeah, you and this let, is what happened. You let some, yeah, exactly. You just sort of let the politics be because you believed a certain amount of stuff, and you l- believed the propaganda. And next thing, right. you're like, well, I didn't know it was going to. This was what it's going to look like. Yeah, I didn't know they, they were going to kill my neighbor. I thought they were going to be head six hundred people, not forty thousand people. So, um, so, so, um, one of his statues, like, for instance, I mean, people are really mad at this guy. They, one of his statues is dumped in a sewer. I mean, it's pretty pretty rough stuff. The death of Marat, which is painted shortly after his death um, by, as I mentioned, Jacques-Louis David, it's criticized for its inac- inaccurate portrayal of Marat because if you see it, he looks creamy white and he right. looks very sort of, you know, a beautiful death kind of thing. And But in actuality, his, his skin was like, he was very hard to look at kind of guy with, with his skin condition. Um, he was known to have had a hideous face and he was, he, the, the, the painting cleansed him and made the sort of the Jacobins look kind of glorified. Right. So people were really mad about that. Um, so here's where her statement, the 100,000 statement kind of really, and again, it's not a stretch so much as it's just sort of like a, you know, this is the way history works. Yeah. Um, again, he's not the only reason for the reign of terror or his death, but it's part of it. So the reign of terror, as I mentioned, um, about 40,000 people were executed or just outright murdered. The, um, at the time, the director, uh, I mean, the main guy running all this stuff is named Maximilian Robespierre. Most people have heard that name somewhere along the line. Um, and, and, and Marat was mostly just a propagandist and supporter of it. But Robespierre, um, at the end of all this, is executed himself by guillotine. Um, and then, as I mentioned, this country goes into a, a short relative calm as people kind of are just, just mortified against the excesses. And, um, but there's, this is where it gets kind of funny. There's a, res, there's a power vacuum. And a few years pass. It takes a little while for it to happen. But um, uh, that power vacuum is filled when Napoleon uh, has a coup d'etat and seizes power in 1799. A known, you know pacifist gentleman yeah, who yeah, yeah. really cared about his cared about fellow Frenchman. Yeah. Just, a, just a real, real, yeah, yeah, just a real like deep soul, yeah. you know, old soul. He, and, 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 and back to like the pickup on that 100,000, the Napoleonic Wars, well, they resulted in the deaths of about 3.5 million person, military and civilian people. Sounds like, you know, this This was a really fun period to be a French person. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. The wine, yeah. the cheese. Think of the cheeses, the heads. Kevin. Think of the cheeses. That's right. And the price. You get a cheese for nothing. Yeah, I mean, you know, once they executed the shop owner, you could have as much yeah. cheese as you wanted what for free. What do you pay for a good Maubière? Maybe a Chateau Neuf du Pop? <laughs> Nowadays. Yeah. Think about it back then. Yeah. I mean, you might die. A few francs. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I think that this story, you know, really just touches on that sense of history and that we, and it's got, I think it has so many sort of connotations, you know, 
He's killed. Okay. Um, she's killed. Okay. 40,000 people are killed. People are being lied to. People are being... And, and of course, by the way, the people didn't come out any better, really. I mean... No. As, and, the, and the help that was supposedly on the way for the people turned out to maybe be just as bad or worse right than what already existed that they were so upset about it's that whole concept of denunciation if you can denounce people and those people can it can be believed it has happened in you know communist countries always in communist uprising and any sort of thing like that people are denounced and if you're denounced you become and it's like you thought you were cool you thought this was a good idea right. and then someone who did who you you know who thinks you stole their your you know their slippers off their front porch decides to denounce you and now next thing you know helps not on the way yeah yeah the, the whole situation you know of this kind of a revolution and you hear you hear about this uh, like we said over and over and over y- you think oh, I was just I was just shot I was just injured by this terrible person here the ambulance is on the way and the ambulance shows up and the people jump out and they shoot you yeah they club and then you. they yeah, and they, they, they get back in the ambulance and drive away back. yeah like what? And they maybe they take your wallet and your watch while they're at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You took my wallet, and my watch. I called them. I mean, that's kind of like the help that was on the way for the French people. It's kind of like, you know, the American police force. If you're that's right. a person of color, for right. instance, yeah, <laughs> young black male, for instance. Don't call the police. Oh, uh, I called him. I called because he's having a he has a mental illness and he's having a bit of a breakdown. We solved the problem. We problem shot him. Solved. Yeah. 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 That's he true. no longer There's, has a mental illness. He no longer has a mental illness. We solved right. his mental illness. That's right. Yeah, thanks. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, how it's so, uh, it's, 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 it's such an uncomfortable way to sort of live and look at life to think that, you know, you think you've got this, you think you're doing the right thing, and the snake turns. And, and it's amazing um, as, a, as a, like a, it, it should be a cautionary tale. Every yeah. time it happens, Every and it never happens. is. Yeah, we just keep doing the same dumb things yeah. over and over. Which is supposed to be the thing we're. I mean, we're supposed to learn, right? right? Yeah, and of course, this is this is seventeen, you know, nineties, and obviously, I mean, how many times and how many countries has this happened since? Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah, and c- certain countries just happens over and over. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, what you got um, for us, Kevin? I've got I've got a little lighter story uh-huh. uh part of what i think helps make a story a little lighter in in this um context that you know of the help is not on the way is that it happened like 600 years ago it really softens yeah. the blow yeah it does i mean lots of dead people 600 years ago just for some reason doesn't seem as bad as 40,000 dead people you know 400 years ago yeah. and 50 people dead yesterday would seem even worse than that. Or 350,000 Americans dead yeah. uh, in the last, what, 10 months, 12 months? Yeah. that That's a thing. That, that is hurts. a thing. The, the that feels more, raw. That one right. feels a little, that you, you want to wiggle that tooth. That no. one feels raw. No. Let's stay with the light one here. Let's go light. And, and you know, I, I kind of went this way partially because, you know, I almost broke down and cried in our last episode when I talked about, People dying stranded on um, a mountain in Russia. So you toughened up since then? No, I just chose something <laughs> wimpy. But uh, it's it is an it's an interesting story because what I like about it is it's not just about help is not on the way, but it's got this this other 
uh, piece to it that kind of leads mm. to something that is still going on to this day, which is which is interesting. So the um, the, the story is about a crew um, f- that is led by Pietro Querini. Querini is what I believe you would pronounce his name. Mm. He's a sailing captain from Venice, mm-hmm. and uh, they're uh, heading to Flanders. They're le- they're actually leaving from Crete. Now, I've read in two different places that it's either one ship or three ships. Mm-hmm. Either way, there were 68 men on the ships. Ship, okay. Ships. Um, and I don't think it's very long before they are hit by some really bad weather. Right. Um, the ships are battered, and they are forced to abandon the ships and take the lifeboats. Um, and there's multiple lifeboats. Mm-hmm. Now, at least one of the lifeboats... Um, you know, they get separated in this this bad storm. Yeah. At least one of the lifeboats is never seen again. Hmm. So they just presume all those people died. Um, they drift for what I think, none of the stories really talk about how long they drift, mm-hmm. but from what I can tell, because uh, supposedly they, they left in the fall of 1431, and they end up... Um, uh, landing on shore in January of 1432. Wow. So it seems to me like they must have drifted for months. Yeah, like four, yeah. And people have drowned. They've died of starvation. It's It's been brutal. They end up on what's called a, a scary, mm-hmm. uh, which is a tiny, tiny, like rocky or coral island oh. in which just animals live seals birds that kind of thing oh yeah it's too small generally for people right it's just sort of a resting spot for yeah you know. yeah for for um for animals and uh they end up on one of those and that's you know where they end up um staying they kind of build some shelter out of pieces of wood from the ship or from the lifeboats and they stay there until uh some um uh locals Mm-hmm. find them some fishermen hmm. and it turns out that they are in uh in an area near what uh, i'm going to try to pronounce correctly hmm. is roost that's r the o with the slash through oh. st mm-hmm. and and i i watched some youtube videos to try and understand how to pronounce it <laughs> they said it would be hard and i i'm i'm completely butchering it i'm sure but it's it's in lofoten norway and at this point, only 11 men are alive uh-huh. of the 68. So 57 of the crew have died. Oh, gosh. Um, they're, they're found by, uh, as I mentioned, local fishermen. And uh-huh. in one of the stories that I read, this local fisherman had a dream that he needed to go save some people in this area and finds them. Huh. I, don't, I don't know for sure whether that's true or not. This is uh, so now we're in. You say we're in Norway, fourteen thirty-two. Gosh, yes. can you imagine? So they've dri- they drifted for uh, you know for a while in the uh, the North Sea, which is r- really not sort of like you're not going to live through this territory. No. You're just like no, in a lifeboat. I mean, they're you know they're going from Crete to Flanders, yeah. and they end up in Norway. Yeah. Um, yeah, they got off course. Yeah, uh, quite a bit. Yeah, it seems like. Um, now what's, what's interesting is they end up living with the, uh, Lofotans, Lof, 
the Norwegians mm-hmm. um, for three months wow. in the winter. The from from the accounts of the crew uh, and and P, uh, Corini himself, they take them in. And they have them live in their houses with them. Wow. And these are small. These are like, yeah. you know, you're living in basically a one room right. with the husband, wife, and their kids all in one one room. I, what, what pops into my head with this is the conditions. I mean, even, you know, obviously like you're, you're 1432. Yeah. It's not, you don't have a washer and dryer. Nope. You don't have a shower. Mm-mm. There's a bath if you're lucky once a week, right? Maybe. Yeah, per maybe. Person. And it's winter, so maybe. I mean, yeah. Are they? He, they'd have to heat this water up. That'd be, I would think hot water in the winter in Norway would be, you yeah. know, a pretty hot yeah, commodity. Pretty rare, and and yeah. and and so, and it's a one room, and and so they are. There's limited food. There's limited hygiene. It's got to stink like crazy in there. Most of the people, their jobs are not, they're not white collar jobs. They're going to be, they're going to be dirty themselves. going to be gutting fish. And I would imagine in Norway in the winter time, uh, you know, here where they were rescued by a fisher, that's probably what most of them are yeah. is fishermen, yeah. fisher women. Uh, Everyone smells like fish. Everyone smells like rotted fish yep. all the time. All you eat. They, they have these. These great, they're writing in their journals. They're they're keeping a record of this, which is really cool because they write things like, quote, when the little children are born and have become four days old, they put them naked (laughs) under the light opening they have opened in order to let the snow fall on them throughout the winter from 5th of February to 14th of May. As long as our stay lasted, it snowed almost continuously. Children who survived childhood were so hardened and accustomed to the cold that they, as adults, carried little or nothing about it. I would imagine it really, truly worked. I mean, up to a degree, you're going to, like, eventually you're just going to freeze to death. But if you but if you do get conditioned for it, it probably makes a big difference. It probably makes a big difference. Yeah. I mean, it seems, it seems crazy that you would, like, open the window and stick your naked baby on the, and let yeah. it get snowed on. But I, I don't know. I mean, why? Well, did he have a reason to lie? I'm not really sure. I would think it probably really, really, I would imagine it really happens because while they, they know, as you said, that clearly there's a high mortality rate for young, sure. you know, if they survived. So they're doing everything they can to toughen them up to survive this incredibly harsh, this incredibly harsh, you know, you know, landscape, this, this place. And so if they don't do this, you know, now, I mean, here's the thing. You and I were dead in like an hour. Right. Like we, you know, without your Patagonia hood, hoodie. And and a kid that dies in an hour after, you know, you feed them and raise them for many years is useless. It's useless. And that's, and I mean, you are talking about, I mean, the reality of, of existence. It happens in nature. It happens today. If the child cannot handle it, if they're sickly, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, they won't make it. It's clearly, it's tragic, but at the same time. There's no room for you. Can't be feeding an invalid. You and can't I would be, imagine the kids need to pull their weight at an earlier age. Yeah, you know than we're accustomed to. Um, here's another quote that I that I love. This is this is from um, you know again a translation of a crew report. We can truly say that we have from third of February to March fourteen thirty two been in paradise's first circle to the shame and disgrace of Italy and its customs. 
Here it is the custom for women to go to the bath, which is a sauna. Yeah. Um, and when they do, they leave their houses as naked as when they were born and carry nothing on them at all. They have nothing in their hands but a twig of birch to use, not out of embarrassment. So natural and state straightforward they live. Since we witnessed this a number of times, it became for us just as natural as for them. They're just like walking around in the wintertime in Norway, naked, heading out to the sauna. To the but, sauna. And I mean, when I start started to read some of these quotes, I started to think, Maybe life wasn't quite as hard, right? As I, I they're going well, to the sauna. Let's not forget <laughs> that like there was no switch for the sauna too. The sauna probably took like three hours to heat up. They probably never let it stop. That's probably true. That's what, yeah, like yeah. if that was me, I'd be like, don't ever let the fire go out. Just keep it going. I go, you know, I go out to the hot tub, which is what from uh, which your right. hot tub, yeah, which is twenty six feet from your front door, from right? Your back maybe. door. And and on a yeah, this, you hit a certain temperature, and I can't get there fast enough. No, you're right. And then when you have to leave, it's it's awful because you're not going into hot water again. No, you get into the house, and you're trying to dry off before you walk in, and dr- don't drip all over the carpet. But right. You want to get in the house as quickly. And they're as just possible. and they're walking around naked. But see, I wasn't left as a baby outdoors. That's, if you were left under a window, yeah. with snow falling on you, I was left next to a warm heater. And uh, with a big with a pile of blankets over me, we we think it's funny to just go down to the river, yeah, and jump in and do a little right. know, polar plunge, yeah, do our little polar plunge. Oh, we're so hardcore. Aren't you guys cute? Yeah. That's that's what they be. Oh, aren't you precious? Right. You little baby men. That's right. Who <laughs> <laughs> ran back to your car and started up yeah. the engine and yeah. put the heat on yeah. full blast? Oh, you'd be dead already where we live. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that cute the way you do that? And and uh, now we're getting to the part which which is what kind of um, brought this whole story to my attention, which was that um, they start talking about uh, the fish, which mm-hmm. is what they call stockfish. Uh huh. So right. it's like cod and things like that. Okay. They dry their fish in the wind and sun without salt. And as these fish do not contain high humidity or fat, they become dry as wood. Before cooking the fish, they hit them with a hammer, mm-hmm. thereby loosening the tendons. Then they add butter and spices in order to impart flavor. Mm. It is a great and valuable export article from the North Seas. Yeah. And that's that's a quote, again, from uh, Corini's report. And oh. what's interesting is this is really where this story is going is that they survived this huge ordeal. You know, I mean, they lost 57 out of 68 men drifted around yeah. uh, in the sea for months. And then uh, coincidentally, uh, pure luck end up in this place mm-hmm. and learn uh, t- about the customs and learn to like the cuisine yeah. of um, they, the, they get a nice, you know, okay. You lost 57 guys, right. It, you know, but you got a nice buttery fish meal out of right. it. Right. And look now, um, you know, you got to kind of hang out here and go to the sauna and stuff like that. Jeez. It sounds not so terrible with, did they come back and like build a resort perhaps right, for, exactly. for chance? <laughs> <laughs> called, called up his uncle who was a developer and he came Call, out and, Put down a hotel and uh, the Lofoten Resort and Hotel. That's right in, in Norway, <laughs> selling timeshares. All the all the stockfish you can eat buffet. 
And <laughs> <laughs> sauna all day. Shuffleboard. Yes, you can. You can hit. We, you're you're provided with a hammer to hit the fish with. You get your own you hammer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they. What happened? What's What's interesting, and I I guess it's this this kind of fish is also called um, uh, torfisk. Oh yeah. Okay. Which is that or, I'm pronouncing it wrong again because it's T that O with the slash, yeah, so it's yeah. like you know whatever yeah, the fisk part I got right. Oh, it's that O R R F I S K fisk we got. Um, this ends up uh, they take this back to Italy, and it this is the origin of trade between Norway Italy. and Italy, and of this becomes. A big part of Italian cuisine. Oh, that's really interesting. And so to this day, um, I believe Italy is the biggest importer of this stockfish These guys, from Norway. They reckon they get blown off course. They have a nice little holiday. Right. And they come home, you know, conquering heroes with a whole with a whole bunch of wooden fish. Yeah. And, and but that's ha- that's delicious clearly delicious. I mean it must be Apparently. great. Apparently. Yeah. I would I would like to try you know after reading these stories I'm kind of interested in tasting yeah. this what this fish the I mean it keep the fact that it's not salted must make a big difference because yeah, it's clearly usually the fish I've had that's been dried is salty as really hell salty. it's like having a it's like having bacon yeah. salty bacon it's just all you taste is salt you can't really do much with it you can eat it and it's you right. know an important diet for people and all of that and. But at, the, but at the same time, you can't, like, make a lot with it. Right. It, um, there was another, some things that I had read, you know, uh, describing, you know, where they were. Turf houses, nudist fish, fishermen, and thousands of torfisk, which were, some of which were taken back to Italy. Uh, now, what's interesting is in 2014, they made a Quirini... Uh, opera oh really and it uh actually was uh well received and i think the financial times wrote it wrote up a, a good uh, review of it so that's hysterical it's i think it's funny because i'm sure they'll make an opera pretty much if, out of like anything yeah at this point like do you have anything i gotta make an opera you got it give me anything what Any- do you got <laughs> we could just make an opera pod story podcast and we could oh <gasps> right this we is just, how we stumble on great ideas, Kevin. You just you you yeah. sing, you sing the podcast yep. in as an opera. It's the million frank yeah. idea, right? Un- here. Unfortunately, I will not be yeah. one of the singers. Is there like a is there like an opera like filter we could use mm. that like sort of like a like an auto tuner, but it makes you sound like it an opera singer. Totally makes everyone <laughs> everything we say sound like an opera singer. Yeah, we could get helmets. Because remember, there was them? like the auto tune the news, but you could have the opera, you know, opera ties the news or opera ties the. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, do the you know, <laughs> do the, do the news and opera. Um, I think that's a see. These are the way. This is how we're gonna get all. You know, we're gonna get. We're gonna, we're we're gonna be buying jet skis this jet time skis. next year. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not really no, into just skis. you know okay. we're gonna be so rich we're gonna buy jet skis we don't even want what? jet skis that I don't even use yeah I'm just gonna give them away right <laughs> giving away jet skis to, our, to people we don't even know I'm gonna buy lots of stockfish too you look like a man who needs a jet ski have this one have this one yeah would you like a one, jet ski one for your kid how big yeah yeah is he old enough 
Take That's it. Right. Go ahead. On me. On me. On Kevin and I. On our on on Opera News. That's right. Yeah. Opera News. It's a big, you know, marketing campaign. <laughs> so that's I mean, that is that is essentially my story. And uh it was much lighter. And help help was not on the way, but they were you know, I mean, they were rescued. Well, it, and... it's not in the way, depending on, you know, who you are in, you know, in in the sort of the storyline of this. And, and if you're the end buyer in Italy and you're this guy who just has been looking for another type of fish, you just, you, you know, you're sick of all the stuff they've got, they're bringing in and I'm done with it. Someone shows up with your Torfisk and uh, help was on the way. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's a it's a neat story how it went from, I mean they it, it easily could have been all of them died. Yeah. Oh yeah. To never saw this it. is the origin of trade between Norway and Italy. I think we need to find out about these uh, this, uh, these other guys that disappeared though. Yeah. What happened to the fifty seven? Well, because maybe right? they did even cooler stuff. Like maybe they landed in the Bahamas right. and they brought coconuts to Rome. You know to like, or Bulgaria. Maybe the eleven that survived. You know, ate them. Oh. Yeah, could have been cannibals. Yeah, I mean, what do you, what what were they eating for months while drifting in the, the ocean? Yeah, fish? Roger, right? Yeah, yeah, they were eating Roger and Dale and Darren. <laughs> Those <laughs> they didn't have good names. So well, no, they got rid of that. That's that's how you choose, right? Who's got the coolest Italian name? Yeah, no, Dale, D- Dale, no, no, Dave, it's like no. drawing straws. Kevin would be gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> drawing stands. Right. <laughs> Who's Stan? You're Stan. Oh, we're drawing stands. You, we drew You're you, gone. Stan. Dale. We're drawing Dales now. <laughs> so I don't um, even know if we're doing this anymore. I don't even know what's happening here. <laughs> no. I know we kind of got sidetracked here. But, you know, it's been like a month, as you said. Things happened. Yeah. Um, I think but, anything will make me laugh right now, as you can hear, you yeah. can tell. So We need some whiskey. Heck yeah. In a hot tub. But, uh, you know, they were good stories. I think it was great stories. stuff. And um, I'm going to come up with something new for the next one. I can't wait to come up with something new. I think I have a few things. Um, uh, but, yeah, you're going to dig deep into the into the war chest and see what there is. Cool. Good fun. Yeah. I liked yours. There was a lot of heads. Heads were rolling. Heads were rolling. <laughs> yeah, a lot more than 600. Yeah, yeah. How many heads do you think you could fit in a hot tub? 72.